said, we're in the book of Esther. We're in chapter 5. If, if you haven't been tracking with us, let me catch you up to speed. We're right in the middle of the story. So um, buckle up. I'm going to go through this fast. A lot's happened. All right, so the Jews are in the promised land. All is great, but there's one problem. There's prophets saying stop sinning, and they're ignoring them. They keep ignoring them, and finally God kicks them out of the land. They're now in exile. They're in Persia under the wicked king Ahasuerus. Well, this king gets really mad at his queen, and he deposes her, and then he gets lonely. And so he collects all the young women of the kingdom and picks one of them to be his new queen. Little does he know, he's picking a Jewish girl named Esther. She's our main character. So she's now the queen. She keeps her identity secret. No one knows she's a Jew. Well, her kind of adoptive father, Mordecai, our other main character, uh, he works for the king in the, in the, uh, right outside the palace. And uh, so then enters our a villain of our story, Haman. Haman's this wicked guy. He rises to power. He's the second in command. Everyone's supposed to bow to him. Well, Mordecai doesn't bow to him. He's an enemy of the Jews. He won't bow. This makes Haman so furious. He comes up with this plan. He goes back to the king and says, hey, king, I need you. I just need to annihilate this one race. King's like, all right, whatever. And so he bribes the king. He gets this edict to, to annihilate because one man won't bow. He's going to annihilate all the Jews on one day, March 7th, 473 BC, about a year later. Mordecai tears his clothes. He's weeping in the streets. He tells Esther, who has no clue what's going on, and he says, you need to go to the king and beg for our people. She's like, I'm not, you can't do that. I'm going to die. He says, no. These are the best lines of the book right here. He says, who knows if you are not there for just a time as this. Then he says, he says, if you won't do it, God's going to send somebody else. God, we, God's going to take care of his people. He has absolute confidence that God's going to deliver his people. So she's convinced now. She says, if I perish, I perish. She's going to go to the king. And, uh, and she says, but Mordecai, get all the Jews in Jerusalem, or in uh, Susa, they aren't in Jerusalem anymore, in, in uh, Susa to fast and pray for three days. Does that, then she goes, right? Is she going to lose her head? She goes in, the golden scepter gets extended to her. Rather than losing her head, she gets favor with the king. He says, what do you want, honey, queen? And uh, he, she, he says, um, anything up to half the kingdom. She says, I want you to come to a feast. Okay. So Haman, the villain, and the king come to this feast. He says, again, what do you want? Up to half the kingdom. She says, I'll tell you tomorrow night. Come to another feast. All right, this is where we are. 24 hours between feast one and feast two. And this is where we pick, right in the middle of chapter five. All right, so look with me at Esther chapter five. And let's give our attention to God's perfect word. Verse nine and following. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions to which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made. And in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. 
This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. That completes our reading of God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, as we come upon this strange twist in our story, Lord, we ask that you would use this Word in our lives. It's here with purpose, and you have purpose for us today. Lord, help me explain it well by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help them understand it by that same power. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, as we begin, if I could have the attention of all the teenagers in the room, I have a question for you. Here's the question. Um, if you, which, do you, which do you value higher, the approval of your parents or the approval of your peers? For your father to say, you are so beautiful, honey, or for the guy on the football team to say, you're cute. Now, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one. You don't have to answer it. You really value peers, don't you? Now, what if your dad was famous? Everyone knew your dad's name. Would that change it? Actually, probably not, right? It's still just dad. If, if, if a guy will tell me. You know what? This is like Haman. Haman's actually a lot like this. And before we look more at Haman, I want to look for a second at our storyline. Where are we in our story? So we have this strange plot twist, don't we? Esther's working her plan. But right in the middle, 24 hours between her feast, Haman all of a sudden has sped up the timeline, hasn't he? I don't know if you've ever seen a movie. They're diffusing the bomb, right? There's a red wire and a blue wire. They cut the wrong one. It goes from an hour to a minute. The timeline got a little shorter, right? We went from March 7th, 473, almost a year later. We got to solve things before this annihilation. Now, I mean, what's likely going to happen is Mordecai is going to be dead before, Esther's going to know nothing of it before the second feast. Nothing she can do. I mean, do you really think the king is going to stop him? I mean, if he says, yeah, go annihilate a whole race, you think if he comes in and says, hey, I need to knock off one guy. Sure, whatever, go ahead. I mean, the king is not going to stop him. He's the second in power. We have a precedence here, right? So there's no way this is going to stop. And so th- this is like the darkest moment of our whole book. Like, it really can't get much worse. We have a death sentence on the entire race. Oh, and by the way, one of the main characters is going to be dead before the day is done. Okay, it can't really get much worse at this point. Well, unfortunately, I, I just got to leave you hanging, like for a whole week. Come back next week, and our story's going to have a big turn. But in the, in, while we wait, what I want to do is I want to look at Haman. You know, one thing, he's so over the top, isn't he? Everything he does is just so extreme. And, you know, have you, when you're watching a movie, how do you know who the villain is? Usually the music changes. They make sure to throw in some facts about, you know, some not-so-smart actions he made. Okay, who likes Hallmark movies? So my wife loves Hallmark movies. And so I've watched a number of Hallmark movies because I love my wife. How do you know who the bad guy is? I mean, apart from he's the, whatever the first guy is, whoever she's engaged to, he's not going to be sticking around. Right, he's always on the phone. Right, he's always on the phone. He wants to tear down the famous building and build a bunch of uh, cheap apartments, right? But he's, he doesn't give his her his attention. He's very preoccupied. He treats her like trash. Whatever it is, right? You know who the bad guy is. You never have any question who the good guy is and the bad guy. Am I right? I'm not making this up. You've all seen it. But what's easy about that is, hey, any guy, here's a free tip. Just don't be like that guy. Like, don't be always on your phone and always, it's easy. Right? It's so obvious that it, because it's over the top, right? They make it very clear. Haman is like that. It's so over the top. We can actually make use of Haman because you have no problem seeing his problems because they're kind of obvious. Okay, so that's what we're going to do this morning. Here's how we're going to divide our time. First, this outline is on page seven. 
you follow along. So emotions reveal idolatry, first. Second, circumstances are not the primary problem. And third, how does God feel about you? All right, so let's begin with that first one. Emotions reveal idolatry. Look at verse 9 again. So Haman went out that day, right? He's leaving the feast. He's all excited. What does it say? He went out joyful and glad of heart. He is really, really happy. Well, then what happens? Then he sees Mordecai, and then, then he's filled with wrath. That is kind of a mood swing. Wouldn't we agree? He goes from this high, high, to he crashes down because this guy won't bow to him. All right, I want you to, to imagine for a moment, you're one of Haman's friends. Sorry. I mean, or you could imagine that you're his wife. That'd be even weirder. What counsel would you give him? All right, I just want you to suspend disbelief for a moment and just pretend you're his friend. What are you going to say? He's, he's asking advice. He's coming back, and he wants, he wants your advice. What he really needs is some good biblical counseling, doesn't he? Right? He, what's going on? Okay, so the, you might say this to Haman. Haman, um, what made you so happy? Did you really have any greater power? Did your power increase at that feast? No, I guess my, no. Then why, why the success? When, when that one guy out of 50 million doesn't bow to you, did your power really decrease? Uh, no, I guess not. Like why? Where, what's driving your emotions, Haman? These, these extreme emotions, what's driving them? Now you really got a perplexed look on the guy's face. Well, it's probably an idol, isn't it? There's something that he wants so much. What do you think it is? What do you think he wants so much? Think for a moment. What, what's driving that? What made him so happy? I think it's approval of people. I think this man really likes to be praised. That's what it was. He says, I was the only one invited. The king elevated me. It even gets more obvious. Look at 10 through 13. All right, nevertheless, Haman restrains himself and went home. So he gathers his friends, his wife. What does he do? This is hilarious. He recounts to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, do you really think his wife forgot how many kids they had? No, he's just, I mean, he, he, he's got a, this is a slow one across the plate, right? He gathers people they know is going to praise him, right? He's just saying, he just, he's, please pour it on. Just tell me how good I am. That's what he's doing. He's recounting all his greatness. and He's just waiting for them to tell him how great because his little fragile ego just got damaged by one guy who didn't bow to him. You see it so clearly. But then it comes even more obvious. Look at, so he says, 12, uh, even Queen Esther invited me, no one else. Then 13, this verse is, is amazing. Yet all this, all these great things is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. He's saying, if I don't have the praise of this one guy, all the rest is, is meaningless to me. I mean, can you see it? He really idolizes people's approval. Do we act like this? Do we act like this? Now, some make this error. They say, this is the solution. You've got these strong emotions. You just need to kill the emotions. The problem is, you're too emotional. Just get rid of those emotions. You'll be fine. You'll be much happier, Haman. Is that really the solution? I mean, you guys all have cars with dashboard lights, right? That little check engine light comes on. What does that mean? It means there's something wrong under the hood. It's giving you a portrait under the hood. So are our emotions. Our emotions are giving us a picture of what's going on in our hearts. And you can smash that light if you want. It doesn't change what's going on under the hood. You can get rid of the emotions. But whatever's driving them does not change. Does the logic of that make sense? 
Our emotions give us this great picture into what's going on in our hearts. We should make use of them. Haman could have made use of them. I want to share with you a great diagnostic, diagnostic question one of my mentors taught me. It goes like this. Listen closely because the wording is tricky. Abnormal response. So he could have, Haman could have used this. Haman, is this an abnormal response to a normal situation? Or is this a normal response to an abnormal situation? I know you tongue-tied there. Let me explain what that means. So the first, is, it, is your situation abnormal? And you have a normal response to it. Mordecai is a great example. Okay, he just found out that his entire race is going to be annihilated. He tears his clothes. He's crying out in the street. That's, that's pretty strong emotions, isn't it? Absolutely normal. If, if your circumstance is your whole race is going to be annihilated. So it's an abnormal situation and a normal response. So they're, they're kind of matched, right? The other is, is a very normal situation and an abnormal response. That would be Haman, <laughs> Right? Doesn't Haman do that? Right? Someone disrespects him. Everyone has that happen, right? And he's ready to go kill a whole race, right? Do you see that? And so you can just use that. Use it on yourself. Because sometimes you're having very strong emotions and they're very fitting to the situation. You say, this this is probably okay. But when you have these really extreme emotions and the situation is somewhat normal, then there's probably something else going on. Does that make sense? It's very helpful. It's been helpful to me. And see, the thing is, with idolatry, it doesn't even have to be something bad. I mean, is it bad to have people's approval? Luke says even Jesus did. Listen to Luke 2.52. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It's not bad. It's not even bad to enjoy people's approval. But did he worship it? Absolutely not. Right? Because pretty soon people start hating the man, right? The Pharisees hate him. A lot of people, but he doesn't worship this. It does not control Jesus. Does that make sense? That you can, it can still be a good thing, but when you idolize a good thing, then that's a bad thing. That's definitely what we have with Haman. This is true of us. Now, we wouldn't say it as extreme as, as Haman said it in 13, right? In verse 13 where he says, all oh, this is worth nothing, right? But we, we feel like this sometimes. Do you ever struggle with anger? Do you ever get to fly off the handle about something, right? What's going on? What's driving your heart? There's something driving your heart. Now, there are many causes of anger, but a big one is idolatry. There's something that you really, really want, and someone is threatening it. And so you get really mad because someone is not worshiping your little idol like you are. Like, if everyone just worshiped my idol, I'll be happy. That's what we all are. Now, if, if we waited till Haman cooled off, we could ask him, Haman, what did you really want? What did you want so much that you didn't get that day? I mean, he was the second most powerful person among 50 million. Shouldn't that insulate him from one guy? Like, are you really expecting 50 million people to love you? Like one guy, and he completely loses it. You see the problem. I mean, what, I mean, this is, now we're moving Haman into today, but what he needed to do was repent of his idolatry, hold on to the gospel, and have a new identity. Haman, you, you have a new identity. It's in Christ. You don't need to worry about this guy's approval. But what actual advice did they give him? They didn't do so much biblical counseling, did they? All right, that brings us to our second point. Circumstances are not the primary problem. Look at verse 14. So his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, oh, this is brilliant advice. Let a gallows be built 
50 cubits. That's 75 feet tall. Unbelievable to be made. In the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully. You'll feel much better, Haman. Just kill the guy, and then you can go to the party. Crazy. What are they doing? What they're doing is they're saying, this circumstance that is making you upset, just remove it, and you'll feel much better. That's basically what they're saying. This guy's not bound to you. Just kill him, and all your problems will be gone, Haman. It's crazy. This truth, what we're talking about, could really make a significant difference in your life and in your marriage. And I don't mean to call anyone out, but I really hope this morning that your pastor's listening. He worships idols, and he needs to pay attention. We'll come back to that. It's true of all of us. We are idol worshipers. I mean, we don't like have like golden things in your house. I went to Japan. They have, I slept by one. It was really weird. It was a little idol thing. You don't have those. But we have idols. We all have them, me included. I want to share with you, this is an analogy. If you've been here a while, you've heard it two times. This is the third time. People that repeat things, they probably want you to get them. This is really important. Hey, if you're new, you get this for the first time. I'm borrowing this from the Puritans. They were really smart. There's this great book on contentment. And uh, you might remember, so you, if you've been camping, you know what happens on a cold morning. You get up and you put on your clothes and they're freezing cold. It's uncomfortable. No one likes it. But in a little bit, your body heat, if you're healthy, your body heat just warms up those clothes, right? Very normal. Now, as you get older, you, you know that you, you preserve body heat less. If you're real sick, you can't. Pre- so a sign of health is the ability to warm up clothes. A sign of sickness is that you can't. You need something external. You need a fire. You need something, Right? And so think of those clothes, the cold clothes, as circumstances. God allows circumstances, sometimes bitterly painful, to come into your life. And when you put them on, they're, they're, they hurt. You'd rather have some other clothes, but this is what the Lord's given you. And so to understand that to, it's going to be okay, that you're, you're, you're healthy. If you're healthy spiritually, you'll be able to warm them up. See, now, the, this is what Haman did, and what the, his, the terrible counsel was, you need something external. If the, cold or, if the clothes are cold, you just need, need a fire. You need something to warm you up, right? Or just get new clothes, right? But rather, a spiritually healthy person can endure hardship knowing that God allows it, and if you're healthy, you'll be able to warm up the clothes. Many people go through their lives, and they're angry. Why are you angry? Well, because of this circumstance and that circumstance. They never actually realize God allows these things, and they show our heart and that God actually intends for us to live under them, to endure them. Does that make sense, that analogy? It's been very helpful to me. I many times realize that I'm just grumpy because I have cold clothes. Like, that realization can help you. It can help your marriages. Okay, so let's get back. Now, I know most of you. Now, I, I'm pretty sure that none of you are the second most powerful or richest person in Charleston. Now, it, Haman was, but none of you are. But you aren't immune to this same problem. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you don't get the respect you deserve, you can get pretty angry, huh? You don't, you, someone in your family doesn't show you respect. At work, they don't show you respect. And you're, whether you're losing it on the, whether you actually are blowing up at people, or whether you're just simmering on the inside. I'm a simmer on the inside. We're all wired differently. But there, there's still unhappiness, Right? We aren't happy because we aren't receiving the respect. And we aren't even the second most powerful person, but we still have these same, same problems. This all raises the natural question. 
So if the solution is not found in just knocking a guy off, if that's not the way we're going to fix our problems, not by uh, our circumstances, what is the solution? Third and finally, how does God feel about you? What is your standing with God? If you are a Christian today, how does God feel about you? I want to look at a couple of verses spread out throughout the Bible to answer this. The first one's from Zephaniah 3.17. I love this verse. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Now this morning, if you're a Christian, that means that you have placed your faith in Christ. I don't mean that you've just gone to church. I don't mean that you know about Jesus and Easter. I mean that you have said, Jesus, you're running my life. I'm going to let you run my life. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive my sins. That's what a Christian is. Just so we're all on the same page, that's what we're talking about. All right, so you're a Christian. Then you are adopted into God's family. Last week we looked at Galatians 4 about how you are a child of God now because of that. Did you see up here a father with his son? He loved his son. You, see a, you saw a grandfather with his son. You know how newborn parents are? Right? Everything the baby does is so cute. You went poo-poo. It's so cute. That, that's already ended. I know it doesn't last long. Right? But just, they just, they love their child. They delight in them. They would rejoice over them with loud singing, but it would disturb the baby. And so just inside of them, they're just full of love. Do you realize that your heavenly father feels that same way about you? Just like a father, just like that father and mother holding their child. That's the way God feels. He loves you, delights in you. It's amazing. And now fast forward. This is Mark 1. Jesus is being baptized. He hears a voice from heaven, okay? So here's Jesus' voice from heaven. Here's what God says. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. That had to feel good to Jesus, don't you think? Have the skies open up. And have God declaring that you're his boy and that God loves you and delights in you and is pleased with you? Do you realize that if you're a Christian, that is true of you? Because this is, how, this is the logic of this. When you became a Christian, you became unified with Christ. All your sins went to him. All his righteousness came to you. God feels about you exactly the same way he feels about Christ. Do you believe that's true? It is. And so then God is saying to you, you are my beloved child, and I'm well pleased with you because your sins, past, present, and future, are being paid for by Christ. He sees them no longer, and the Father delights in you. The Father delights in you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin? That was Jesus. He became sin. He took my sins. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You're the righteousness of God now. So you, God sees you as that. Now I could give you a hundred verses like this. And, and, and most of you, some of you know all these verses and many more. But if they, if they don't get to your heart, it doesn't matter. You see, I know, I can tell what you believe. You can tell what you believe. Here's the test. Just listen to your emotions. Your emotions absolutely have to follow your belief system. Now you can tell me you believe anything you want. So you say, I'm, I trust in God completely, and you're absolutely consumed with anxiety. I say, well, I don't think you actually believe that. Our emotions give us just like that check engine light. You can say whatever's going on under the hood you want, but that check engine light gives it away. It says something ain't right. Our emotions. Does that make sense? How your emotions give away your real belief system? 
And so my prayer is, is that these things would get from your head to your heart. And so I hope that picture, and you'll get to see more fathers with little babies, right? And mothers with little babies. It's one of the blessings of our church. We have little babies and more to come. Look at them. When you see them, remember, God feels that way about you. The delight. I mean, they say, it said in Zephaniah, he quiets them with his love. Does a father not do that? A mother not do that? Quiets. The Lord does that. He quiets you with his love. It's amazing. It's amazing. Have you ever seen a balance scale? So it's usually kids, if you, hear, if you look at me, so it looks like this, and then hanging from the two sides are two little baskets or bowls. And so you put weights in both sides. You put five one-pound weights in here, a five-pound weight here, and they balance each other. Okay, it's called a balance scale. All right, so think about Haman for a second. What, what did he say in verse 13? Okay, we're going to read 13, and I want you to think of, picture this balance scale and see what it's saying. Verse 13. Yet all this, so he's one side, all of it's in one side. He has all these kids, great riches, All this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. He put all of those things in one side and then the one single thing on the other side, one man's disapproval, and it pops it up. He's saying this is more weighty than all the rest. Does the logic of that make sense? Do you see what's happening? Now, kids, you maybe know a seesaw better. You ever been on a seesaw? All right, so you and another friend, right, are on it and you're going back and forth and back and forth. But then... They get off and your dad gets on. Bop, you're up in the air. You can jump up and down. You do whatever you want. You aren't moving, right? Dad weighs four times more than you do, right? That's the way it is, right? So it should have been that he should have been insulated, right? Because of all those things, it shouldn't have mattered, right? It was so heavy on this side. Mordecai on this side should not have mattered, right? But it didn't because he was an idol worshiper. He had this idol of wanting people's approval. It was like having a parent on the other side. Look at verse 13. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. I ask you again, do we ever feel like this? Do we ever feel like this? Of course, we don't say it so bluntly. At this point, the Bible scholar, I mentioned him last week, Ian Duguid, has been, it was extremely helpful. And if you'll allow me, I want to share very personally for a moment. Um, I actually began to prepare this sermon week before last. So not this past Wednesday, but a week ago Wednesday. And as I was reading about these, these very verses from this commentary, it just so happened I was having a terrible, no good, very bad day. I was not happy. I was very discouraged. And so I'm reading about this. So I want to share it with you. As I read what I'm about to read to you, it cut me to the heart. I realized I'm guilty. You've got me. It was also very encouraging. It's a strange thing. Isn't it weird? You get pinned against the wall and you say, thank you. It's because as a Christian, it's healing, right? I mean, a surgeon goes with a knife and cuts you, right? You know that in the hospital and it's, it's, it's healing. It brings healing. That's the way it is to be a Christian. God's always cutting on you. It's always good. He's taking out the bad stuff, but it, it does hurt. Knives aren't, aren't pleasant against the skin. So listen to this. Here's what he says. He's speaking of Haman. What a ridiculous overreaction, he says. Yet are we not equally fickle? Shouldn't our joy in our salvation be far more impregnable than Haman's? just happened to be that week, one of my daughter's vocab words was impregnable. Kids, if you don't know what that word means, here's what it means. Think of a castle, with a big castle wall. Impregnable means you can't get in. You can't climb over it, right? You can't break through it. It's impregnable, okay? 
undefeatable. Okay, so let me read the sentence again. Shouldn't our joy in our salvation be far more impregnable than Haman's because it is based on unparalleled glory of God's incredible goodness to us? You see, we have much heavier things than anything Haman had that should hold us down, should be like that seesaw, that should not flip the the balance so easily. He goes on. In reality, though, how often have we said to ourselves, prepare yourself, yes, I know that God has made me his child, and I'm a co-heir with Christ and his glorious inheritance, yet all that is worth nothing to me as long as I do not have fill in the blank. When I read that, it just cut me to the heart. I was like, I'm guilty. That's exactly what I'm doing today. I am completely bent out of shape, and it's not. I have all these great and wonderful truths, but I knew my heart. I don't believe those things. I mean, not in that moment. Of course, I believe them theoretically, but I had been outdone. They'd been, they'd been popped in the air. I mean, isn't that crazy to think? My inheritance with Christ had been popped in the air by one single thing, right? Because I'm unhappy about one little thing. Does, that, does it make sense? The quote goes on. Perhaps our joy is lost because of a lack of love at home or a lack of respect from our peers or lack of acknowledgement at work. We are cast down by minor earthly setbacks because we have lost sight of the incredible glories of our heavenly inheritance, end quote. Isn't that good? This can be so helpful to us. We aren't that different from Haman, are we? Our emotions fly this way and that. And it shows how we actually value or what we actually value. Of course, the world gives us two This is a review. Two solutions. Either you get rid of the circumstance or you just numb the nerves. Right? Just take away. Have no feeling. If you had no feeling, you'd be okay. Neither. What's the biblical solution? The biblical solution is to let the truths that many of you already know. They might be new for a few of you. Probably most of you already know them. And let them sink in. And let them be weighty. And when you find your emotions swinging, go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is it that I want so much? Lord, help me. Help the things that are weighty be weighty in my heart. Help them be weighty in my heart. You actually have the approval of God. If you're a believer, you actually do. The Lord delights in you more than any father over his newborn son. I long that God would give us insight into our idols. That you, like me, would understand better what it is that you want so much that you aren't getting. I long that you would grasp the Lord's delight. I long, as the hymn writer says, and we'll end with this, that you would turn your eyes unto Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face and the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, though, that it is uncomfortable to have to think about our idols, and it was uncomfortable for me. I thank you for it, Lord. You improved my attitude by showing me my idolatry. I pray that for my brothers and sisters, that they, too, would have better understanding of what drives their emotions. That they would not kill their emotions, but rather look deeper. That you, by your Holy Spirit, with the help of friends or their prayer triad, folks in their missional community, that they would be able to unearth what is driving them, 
and they would be able to repent for it. And that you would begin to heal as we set aside our idols and worship you alone. Lord, we're about to worship you now. Lord, we pray that we would do it throughout the week. And that the weighty things, the spiritual realities that are true of us, that they would be weighty in our hearts. And we would not be thrown to and fro by this circumstance and that. We pray this. We need your help, Lord. We can't do it on our own. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.